morning. How are you? Good. All right, good. My name's Lance, pastor here at Falls. Uh, it was a great study last week, Dave mentioning the message on Jonathan and David. And uh, we've been using King David's journey as a point for observation and teaching truth through this series, always giving credit to Jesus and glory to God for his plan through these fallen kings to the same lineage that brought the Messiah and Savior and the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. We left off last week, chapter 20, so I'm starting in chapter 21 of 1 Samuel. David went to Nob, that's not a person, to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? That there's a little bit of suspicion, there's a little bit of angst. Uh, he trembled, so he knows that something is really out of order here. David answered Ahimelech the priest, the king sent me on a mission and said to me, no one is to know anything about the mission I'm sending you on. So he makes up a story and says, I'm on a secret mission. As for my men, I've told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. David replied, indeed, women have been kept from us, meaning they've kept themselves ceremonially clean. As usual, whenever I set out, the men's bodies are holy, even on missions that are not holy, how much more so today? So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread and the presence had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. Now one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. He was Dog, the bounty hunter. I mean, the Edomite, Saul's chief shepherd. David asked Ahimelech, don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's mission was so urgent. I left. I didn't even grab a weapon, didn't have my cell phone, forgot my credit cards. I got nothing. Help. The priest replied, the sword of Goliath, Philistine, whom you killed in the Valley of Elah is here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want to take it, there's no sword here but that one. And David said, there's none like it. Give it to me. I've never seen its equal. Let me ask you, where do you run when life goes sideways, when troubles come your way? Early in the Chronicles of David, there's a pattern he inquires of the Lord. 1 Samuel 19, just a couple of chapters prior, Saul's outrage tries to throw a spear through the body of David while he's singing and playing guitar, but he escapes. Even when Saul plans his murder, David's wife tips him about it and collaborates with a scheme of some pillows under a blanket, some goat's hair. That He's sick, he's lying in bed, giving him more time to run for his life. And where did David run then? He ran to Samuel, the man of God. I'm, I'm sure, uh, you know, he ran to the person who God gave him the words, who God anointed him at, as the next king. I'm sure he was looking for affirmation. He was looking for someone probably to confide in. He was probably looking for some coaching and some direction from the man of God. 
What does the Lord want from me? Because these things aren't unfolding like I thought. The, the guy in the power and the throne is trying to kill me. What should I do? Where should I go? Because it was no small thing to be a trusted confidant and a bodyguard of, of the king, and now you're on the run, loose. What do you tell others, and what will others think? And as it unfolds, Saul doesn't want David just away from him. He wants him dead. Saul hears where David is, and, and he, sends, he sends some soldiers to kill David, and then it says the presence of the Lord fell upon them. They all started prophesying. I don't know what that means, but were they declaring the wonders of God? Evidently, some kind of miraculous manifestation of the Holy Spirit fell upon the group. They never, they never killed David. Instead, they started worshiping and glorifying God. And so Saul says, send another detachment. Go kill him. And then they all fall in the, or in the presence of God falls, and they start worshiping and prophesying. And Saul sends a third detachment. Go get him. Kill him. And they, so Saul goes himself. And what happens? The manifest power of the Lord falls on Saul, and he, it says he's uh, on, on the floor in the presence of God all day and all night. To, at the end of that, they say, is Saul among the prophets? Is the king now a holy man speaking the words of God? Because that's, he's glorifying and praising God. He's out under the power all day, all night. David's band on the run at this time, chapter 21, heads for the priest at Nob Ahimelech a grandson of Eli, important to take note of part two in this message. But David runs to Samuel, then to Ahimelech, another priest, another man of God. Next, he runs to his enemies, and some scholars raise questions about David's trust. Did he really believe God's words? Why is he going to the, the Philistines for cover? Wouldn't he just stay there by Saul, and maybe he would get even promoted sooner because it would force things to, to the forefront, is he delaying his own coronation? Why did he run when God had anointed him? Why was he afraid when God had said he had chosen him over Saul? Why would he run to the Philistines rather than wait and trust the Lord? And that's easy for others to say. But, but what do you do? <laughs> what would you do when the most powerful man in your world is throwing spears at you and wants you dead. You know, when the spears are flying your direction, your human inclination is to preserve your own life. 1 Samuel 21, verse 10. That day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain, slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. He's a Philistine. So he pre pretended to be insane in their presence, and while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. <laughs> Anytime I can get that move in there, I try it. Achish said to his servants, I went to Bible college to learn that one. <laughs> Look at the man. He's insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? This must, must this man come into my house? I got enough crazy people around me. Look at my family. Say amen to that. <laughs> if you're sitting by you. Okay, anyway. 
I would rather side with those that argue that God led David to the Philistines on occasion. And that possibly Psalm 23 makes dynamic sense and the setting pretty stark when David says in Ziklag, thou preparest a table for me in the presence of my enemies. That right in the very heart of those that I have opposed, those that I've stood, killed their giant, defeated their armies, and now even right there in the hotbed of my enemies, that God can prepare a table. It's hard to say what God's directive and what, what, what is God's directive that David's fulfilling here and what is, look, can look like, like crafty ideas of survival when there are seething death threats looming over his head. But we all know who's watching over it all. But where do you run when life goes sideways? Is Google your first place you go, you search, when you have questions and worries and anxieties? If you have absolute trust in God, then you go to Him. If only we could know what's going through the mind of David during this time while, while he's in this spot, in this, in this cave. Hey, good news, we can. Psalm 57, the title tells you, for the director of music to the tune of Do Not Destroy. You know that song? Okay? Do Not Destroy. They play it on the blast. When he had fled from Saul into the cave. It's this spot. He's run for his life. He's run, he's searched, and even, even risked his life going to his enemies to say, could, you, could I hide out here? And they say, no way. We here. Dog the bounty hunters even looking for you. The Edo dog the Edomite. No, thank you. Can't stay here. And now he flees to a little cave in Adulam. And he writes this song while him and his little band are on the run. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God Most High, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. I like that. David's saying, I may not be getting out of this situation, but God has sent his love and faithfulness to me. He's got a lot to be thankful for in that little cave. I'm in the midst of lions and I'm, I'm forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are like spears and arrows. He's like, Real spears are coming at me, the people who want me dead, whose tongues are sharp as swords, the things they're saying about me. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a, a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. 
You know, my enemies, they tried to set a trap for me. They, they dug a pit in my path, but they themselves fell into it. My heart, O oh God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and, and make music. Other people might be totally stressed out and give up. Other people might be filled with questions about why, why me, why me, God? But in this moment of distress, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make music unto the Lord. I'm going to sing of His goodness and His faithfulness and His love. Awake, my soul, awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I'll sing all night till the sun rises up again. I'll praise you, Lord, among the nations. I'll sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. As far as I can see, you're faithful. Faithfulness going all around. Oh, really, David? But look at your life. You're on the run. Saul wants you dead. You're away from your wife and your family. You're living in this cave and you're hiding. But he says, all I can see into, all the way up into the skies before me, as high as I can see up into the heavens, I, all I can see is God's faithfulness. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens and let your glory be over all the earth. It's not a cry of, why is all this happening to me? I'm a good person. Why is all this bad stuff happening to me? But he's saying, I'm not cowardly hanging out in a little cave. I'm under the wing of the Lord. You might think I'm in an armpit, but I can't think of any other armpit I'd rather be in than in the armpit of God because my enemies will have to go through his fist and his arm to get to me. Will you stand with me? Some of the most dynamic songs of praise are written while David's band is on the run. Hit songs while fleeing King Saul. I've titled this album Psalm 7, Psalm 27, Psalm 31, Psalm 34. I've already read to you Psalm 57. How can so much praise exude out of, out of this psalmist when his life future seems to all be just crumbling before him. He was right next to the, he was a bodyguard of the king. He, he knew he was the next in line and all that's gone sideways and now that guy wants him dead and he has nowhere to turn. But he's putting out hit songs because what exudes out of him when the pressure's put on and his band's on the run are songs of praise to God his faithfulness, his goodness, that he would be exalted above all the earth. Because David knows God's word is true. And he's depending on it. He's trusting God has spoken and what he said will come true. There are promises God has given to David. And God's word is true. Amen? But on the surface, it's not working out for David. 
The king's trying to kill him. He's not welcome even by his enemies at, the time, at that time either. And he ends up hiding in a cave in Adullam. 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1. David left Gath and escaped to the cave in Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. He knew that he got out by the skin of his teeth, and who do you think the king's wrath is going to be pointing to for information about David? Who, who else's life do you think is on the line? Probably his own immediate family. They feel threatened, so they go down to hang out in the cave with David. All those who were in distress, in debt, and discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. So here's this promise of a new king of Israel, uh, the new God's man to lead a, a, a guy after God's own heart. And, and when he finds out, oh, people are coming, people are joining us. Yes. Who? Uh, you know, not the best, you know, not the best group of people. I mean, so-and-so is bankrupt. The other guy's stressed out. And those people aren't unhappy, but, but they've joined us. I mean, we were building, we got some people here. I mean, every reject and enemy of the state has rushed down to join David. They're broke, stressed out, unhappy, and they have a leader now, something to unify them. Saul has the crown, the throne, riches, uh, a proven history of, of what God has done, and a developing young army himself. And David has the malcontents, the bankrupt, and the burnt out. And how do the bad news bears become David's mighty warriors? I wonder which ones are listed in 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicle, because there's that statement, they were there with him in the beginning. So some of them, some of those mighty men were these distressed, in debt, and discontented. 1 Chronicles 11.15 says, Of David's mighty men, three of the thirty chiefs came down to David to the rock at the cave in Adullam. It mentions this spot, that some of these mighty men were with David at the very beginning. We don't know exactly which ones were there at the beginning, but there were some, and they routed enemies, some single-handedly, like Yashoab. Yashoab. He killed 300 men alone, it says. First Chronicles 12, 14 says, and we'll get to David's mighty men later in this series, but this will be a little tease for it, but the least was a match for a hundred, and the greatest, a thousand. So pick the least of David's mighty warriors, and they could beat a hundred guys to one. The greatest, a thousand to one. And out of this group here of distressed, in debt, and discontent, a poor pile of not even free agents, they were cut. Their resumes were not worthy of the paper they were printed on. Now they have become models and real-life heroes who risk their lives defending the reputation of the Lord Almighty. That's a pretty inspiring thought, that God can take a ragtag group of misfits and shape them into legends and heroes. Elbow your neighbor and say, there's hope for you. Would you? Come on, elbow your neighbor. That's a lot, long way for you, Jenna, but there's, there's hope for you. And in all seriousness, when you look across this room, we find a bunch of recovering, self-centered people who are being transformed into Christ followers. Many of us were depressed killjoys who have found a reason to live 
and even smile. Many of us were liars and cheats and manipulators and now filled with godly integrity. Some of you were church kids and yet somehow you turned out. Some of us were addicts who've been set free from the chains of temporary highs and have found the stability of the rock of ages. Saul is following the path of his own flesh and everything around him is crumbling and David is pursuing God and his life is coming together through although what looks like unbelievable circumstances because God's word is true. If God says it, it's going to happen. Let's keep reading. 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 6. Now Saul heard David. I'm, I didn't print it up there because it's so much, but I'm going to speed read it. David and his men had been discovered, and Saul was seated, spear in hand, under a tamarisk tree on the hill of Gibeah, with all his officials standing at his side. He said to them, Listen, men of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give all of you the fields and vineyards? Will he make you commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? He's saying, What could David do for you? I can make you, I can give you riches, wealth, power, and respect. Verse 8, is that why you all conspired against me? No one tells me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is concerned about me or tells me that my son has incited my servant to lie and wait for me as he does today. Saul lies and said, David's trying to kill me. Spins it around. You know, some of them are going like, no, nah, we heard what happened. <laughs> But Dog, the bounty hunter, I mean the Edomite, who was standing with Saul's officials said, I saw the son of Jesse come from Ahimelech, son of Ahimelech, at Nob. Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for David. He also gave him provisions and the sword of the Philistine, Goliath, Goliath's sword. Verse 11 says, Then the king sent for the priest Ahimelech, son of Hytub, and all the men of the family who were with the priest at Nob, and they all came to the king. Saul said, Listen now, son of Ahitub. And the priest answers, Yes, my lord. Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me? And the son of Jesse, you and the son of Jesse, giving him bread and sword and inquiring of God for him? so that he has rebelled against me and lies and wait for me as he does today? Ahimelech answered the king, Who of all your servants is as loyal as David, the king's son-in-law, your personal bodyguard, highly respected in your household? Was that the first time I inquired of God for him? You know, when that question is asked, that's an obvious, like, no-brainer. Like, no, of course not. Let not the king accuse your servant of, or any of his father's family, for your servant knows nothing at all about this whole affair. But the king said, you will surely die, Ahimelech, you and your whole family. Then the king ordered the guards at his side, kill the priests of the Lord, because they too have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet they didn't tell me. But the king's officials said, I'm not going to kill the holy men. I know they didn't have anything. We all know they didn't have anything to do with it. <laughs> not killing these holy men of God. Then he ordered Dog the bounty hunter. 
You turn and strike down the priests. So Dog the Edomite turned and struck them down. He killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. I used to read this and think, Dog the Edomite is one nasty, crude dude. You know, and how could he do this? It's weird because in light of Scripture, Dog the Edomite was a vessel to fulfill the words of God. See, it's said in 1 Samuel 21 that Dog was detained before the Lord. God wanted him to see David. Long, he was detained, meaning long enough to see David and Ahimelech the priest. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 31 through 37, the Lord spoke over the, the priest Eli that because of his sons who did detestable things before the Lord, is what it says. That means you didn't just kind of mess up. Didn't mean you just kind of made a mistake. Didn't mean you kind of had a little slip up in your humanity and, you know, some kind of minor, you know, corruption in your life. <laughs> but he, the Lord said, because uh, your sons did what is detestable before the Lord, that none of your kids nor their kids' kids will ever see old age. Another proof that God always does what he says he's going to do. And this may have been a tragedy and exposed Saul's corruption in his heart and, and willing evil you know, associates with him, but the shocking execution of a priestly clan was a prophetic word spoken by God to the prophet Eli. Some scholars even argue that Ahimelech had it coming. Because he did have a responsibility to the ruling king that there was insubordination happening, that his allegiance was first to the one on the throne. And any suspicious activity should have been reported. And he was, he, he was out of sorts when David came, right? It said he trembled that David came. And he was asking questions like, this doesn't make sense. But either way, you can count on God's word coming true. And it's hard to think about because... In my life, I'm always seeing the grace of God so big. And I know that God is patient and kind and gracious. But I also know he's not a liar. And when he says, those who go their own way will pay an eternal price, there's no gentle way to say it. There's no nice way to say it. C.S. Lewis said it this way. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those whom God says in the end, thy will be done. He went on to say, all that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek find those who knock the door is open it was bill t arnold that said whether for good or for ill god's word sets the standard and his word announces the verdict 
and it can sound harsh. What do you mean? Those who don't follow God are going to pay an eternal price. How can you say that? Talk about the love of God, the goodness of God, and the mercy of God. But what's more shocking? I know it can sound harsh, but what's more shocking? God saying, this way to life, and this reward for that life. Or a human being looking up to the heavens and saying, I'll tell you how this is going to go down, God. He would go on to explain God's word as informational and transformational. Meaning God speaks and those who hear it, those who take that information to heart and respond, find a life worth living today and beyond the boundaries of time and space into eternity. Jesus said the same thing. Jesus said, I'm here as a fulfillment of what my Father has spoken. These things are coming to pass as God has ordained His virgin birth, miraculous birth through the portal of human skin, living a perfect life and giving Himself on the cross, willingly giving Himself on the cross rising from the dead and now seated at the right hand of the Father, fulfilling God's word. God is going to do what he said. He's, gonna, he's not a liar. Jesus said, don't think I've come to abolish the law. Jesus was shaking things up. Things, were, they, things weren't going traditionally like, like the church folk thought they should. But Jesus said, I haven't come to put an end to this. I'm fulfilling these words of God. I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law, but it will accomplish everything it, from the law until everything is accomplished. <laughs> Meaning, it's going to be happening. And we have this little window of time where God's wrath is being withheld. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to hit. It's going to hit the fan. Will you stand with me? Lord, we, we know your word is true. We just don't always know how it's going to unfold in our everyday life. Thank you, Lord, that you understand our weakness, our humanity. God, you're so far above us. Your word makes sense when it says, who can know the mind of God? Lord, would you forgive us for not having that kind of faith, not running to you, not being first and foremost trusting your words, that you're faithful through all generations, that we have at times grumbled and moaned and complained and looked at our circumstances and, and wallowed in songs of pity and sang country music songs. Instead of allowing the praise to the Almighty God to exude out of our life, even though it looks like in circumstances it's not unfolding the way we dreamed about, we daydreamed, not as majestic as some of these words in your holy text poetically uh, 
flow. Forgive us, Lord, in our disbelief. Hear our hearts, Lord. Help us, God, to be honest with you. We thank you, Lord, for opening our eyes to truth. Help us to continue to represent you well in the marketplace of our life. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Lord bless you. Thank you for your attention, your worship, giving of your life and your service. God bless you. You can find us online at Falls Church or by searching Facebook at facebook.com slash fallschurch.cc.